So you opened up in a 2018 article through uh, the Players' Tribune after suffering, you know, your panic attack in the game against the Hawks in 2017. Uh, since then, you've pretty much been a prominent face in mental health awareness, and you know, including guys like DeMar DeRozan and uh, yeah. uh, Vegas Aces, Liz Cambage. She actually opened up in 2019 about it. Uh, but I have a question in terms of that. Like, since opening up and being sort of an advocate in that manner, uh, having the spotlight on you, how has that sort of impacted your mental health since then? I think it's been extremely positive. I mean, when it's a community type experience, uh, I think it's really emotionally freeing. Like it allows not only myself, but I think the others around me to be more empathetic. It's allowed me to be more involved and, you know, really actively listening to people in their experience. Like I did the Aspen Ideas Conference with DeMar and really got to sit with him then. You know, we've been boys for, for a long time, obviously played against each other. We got the beef with the USC, UCLA connection, but like really got to open up and and speak with them about, you know, what it meant, uh, you know, not only to suffer from depression, but to be a black man in America, you know, coming out and exposing that in, in a world where there's such a stigma and so many people that aren't willing to expose it or talk about it for, you know, fear that, that they're going to get overlooked for a job or it's going to be one more thing that it can be used against them, um, you know, in applying for a job or, or, uh, whatever it may be. So, you know, Liz Cambridge, I've spoken to her as well. Paul George after, you know, outside of the bubble, uh, you know, Danny Green, uh, Dak Prescott. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that's just professional athletes, right? Like we've seen entertainers like even Dwayne Johnson, who's the biggest box office movie star in the world, talk about his mother's depression and his depression when he was younger and having to deal with that. So again, you know, like success is an immune to depression. You just, you, you see, that this doesn't discriminate and so many people um, have come out and talk about it. So I think that community aspect of it and understanding that more and more people are willing to talk about it and that stigma continues to be beaten down because of it. I mean, that's where I feel like I've been able to, to settle in and continue on this journey to just try and help people as best I can. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Paul Doris because I, I kind of want to get your reaction to sort of how you feel when it feels like people sometimes minimize what you're at the forefront of. Yeah. You hear your guys like Paul Doris came out and said, you know, he was depressed in the bubble. Uh, you have Kyrie, you know, the reported mood swings and taking games off for his own mental health. And then you have people saying, you know, criticizing those guys. Like, what do you what do you say to that to people who might not understand those people who are dealing with those uh, internal battles? Yeah, it's just you just never know what somebody else is going through. And it's not like you can put people into a box, whatever they're dealing with, whether it's, you know, a, a acute anxiety or a major depressive disorder, you know, or any mental illness, uh, you know, or somebody who's just unwell, you know, what they're dealing with, you can't put them into a box and say, okay, this is how we're going to treat that person, you know, because it's just not the same. Everybody's experience uh, is different. I think the same goes for uh, a Kyrie Irving, the same goes for Paul George and so on and so forth throughout our league and, and many other sports leagues and any walk of life. So, you know, I, I would, I would hope that more and more people, um, you know, become aware of this. And I, I think I say that in a broad stroke, because I think it has really come to the forefront of conversation throughout this time that we are in. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I think the numbers uh, which is disheartening and, and kind of heartbreaking in a way that it continues to trend in the wrong direction. But I think, you know, like we're speaking about here today, gentlemen, it'll allow you a, a map and a way to 
you know, really work on these things that you might not otherwise know where to get started or how to get started in that regard. So just continuing to generate tools, continue to, to, you know, find the research, eliminate the stigma. But the last thing I'm going to say about that is, you know, that's the three pillars. The fourth pillar would be educating people, continuing to educate people and, and you know, allow people to, to understand that whether it's you or somebody at arm's distance, people are struggling, especially, at the, you know, throughout these last 12 months with, with COVID and social injustice. And uh, I always, you know, I continue to say the wildfires out West that, you know, where I grew up and, you know, the election and even bleeding into this year, it's just, it's really been a lot for, for people in, in, in every walk of life. Like I said, it, it just doesn't, doesn't discriminate. Yeah, you know, the people, you know, you have people going through it and then their families are also tied into that. So I know for me, like as a kid, I've seen my family members deal with depression and suicidal thoughts. And I learned the names of medicines early on, like Zoloft, Prozac. And you, you're a kid, you don't, you don't know what they're for. You just know that, you know, somebody in your family is taking it. Love is taking it, yeah. Yeah, you're just like, I don't know what this means. And as a kid, you're like, why don't you just do things that make you happy? Like, is it, you don't, you don't understand. So I guess... My question would be like, sort of what advice would you give to like family members who, uh, family members of people who are going through these things and they are unsure sort of how to support them emotionally through this whole battle that they have going on with, within themselves? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, the, the, the thing that I've learned is just to speak your truth. And it sounds like so simple, but you'd be so amazed how many people won't do it. And just like live in the shadows, right? Like. I always say nothing haunts us like the things we don't say, you know, sometimes when you just, especially when I'm sitting with my therapist and listen, I know how fortunate I am to be able to afford that in my life and have that at my disposal. And I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for it because it's helped save my life. But sometimes just either getting it out all on paper or, you know, speaking it even with, without a, a you know, a trained or licensed therapist, whatever it may be, even just with a friend, like just putting it out there in the open and even getting a different perspective on it or giving it, giving it life. I mean, I think it's, it, it's incredibly powerful to do. And then from setting that baseline, finding different things that maybe are your triggers or finding different ways to, you know, just, just work on this stuff. But I think it's, it's, it's really hard. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of factors that, that go into, you know, how you're going to work with that certain person again, because those experiences are going to be different because, you know, as I know that we'll, we'll talk about like everybody's makeup is different in that way. Like I, I, I couldn't go in again, like talk to, you know, a Kyrie about, you know, certain experiences. We, we can definitely connect on, I would think, a large majority of, of, of things in, in, in terms of healing. But that last 10, 15, 20 percent, it's just, you know, from a guy that's from Jersey and a guy that grew up in Portland, Oregon, it's just a different experience. So, um, but I do think that, uh, again, these conversations are incredibly important to have. And we have to ask these questions. We have to continue to have the dialogue. And I think first and foremost, that that stigma is going to continue to be alleviated and not the conversation, but the, the language is going to change. Cause I do think that whole model is broken as well for, for young kids, especially young men uh, and how to express themselves. Cause I certainly didn't have the tools to do that. Speaking of young athletes in general, uh, we see, you know, athletes returning and younger athletes returning to sports after this long layoff, you know, the pandemic, uh, they weren't physically in classes. Now they're participating in team sports. Uh, 
what would be sort of your general advice for kids who are now expected to just perform on these big stages and maybe they felt isolated and alone during the pandemic and maybe they had no one to talk to and what kind of outlet can sports be, whether you know, good, bad or indifferent for these for the younger athletes? For athletes and performers in the realm of sports, like it's such a unique, it has such a unique brand of, of storytelling. It's such a great escape, especially, you know, for kids that, that, might not know how to express themselves. Like for me, I can relate to that because it would either be my bed in a locked door in a dark room, or it would be, you know, going and playing basketball. I, you know, in some cases I, you know, I went to school because, you know, I had to, and I had to get the grades in order to go further in basketball. Right. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a really amazing outlet for kids. I think that that socialization factor too, especially when you're playing team sports is so huge. There's so many teaching points uh, outside of it just being sports because you have to learn to communicate. You have to learn to deal with losses. You have to learn how to, you know, to win. You have to learn from your mistakes, so on and so forth. You have to be coachable. Uh, you know, you learn from authority, you learn from a teammate, you have a brotherhood, sisterhood, so on and so forth. So I think that's a a beautiful thing about it, but this past year, I can't imagine the the younger demo, and I I don't know a number for it, but like preschool all the way to, you know, eighteen, maybe even through college, that that weren't socialized and weren't around people because, especially in those those formative years, even prepubescent and shortly thereafter, like you're making such major strides in you know just being around and in the same orbit as as people your age and your peers and just being in a classroom and taking in social cues i mean there's there's even cues that you know when somebody's not speaking and facial recognitions it's just there's so much there to unpack that i think it's a beautiful thing that we're able to uh not only get back to to you know regular team sports or or individual sports but also to get back in the classroom and and, and learn um in the confines of, of, of a classroom and within a school. Uh, I want to go back to that moment in the Hawks game for, for just a second. You took a lot of heat for checking out of that game. Uh, and we live in a world, right, where criticism comes quicker than the applause. So, you know, some people are saying, well, how can you have these struggles? You're, you're a millionaire athlete. You're on the main stage. You have all this attention. You could maybe they think you could buy your way out of your, your funk or whatever. But right. Sort of, and you just get it from all sides in media, social media, like fans, like just, just all over the place. What kind of toll do you think social media and the media in general has on a player? And how have you sort of yourself been able to sort of navigate those things as you sort of go through your journey yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question because we, and I'll, I'll say something to a similar wavelength too. It's like we live in a, a, a world where it's accusations not rebuttals, right? Like people are going to stick to the accusations and then the rebuttals mean pretty much nothing. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of people just didn't understand. Um, and I tried that. That's why I tried to hide it when it initially happened. And there was so much that led up to the point of, of me sharing my story, but, um, you know, again, a super scary and, and, and vulnerable moment for me, I think it's, it's finally coming to a point now where um, I think that the general pop is, you know, opening themselves up to the idea because it's funny, like even certain people in my life, you know, when I was going through, through two, three months of, of just being super dark, you know, people just say, well, just snap out of it. It's like, Oh, I didn't think about that. Right. Like, Oh, okay. So I'll just, I'll just snap out of it then. But I think, 
Um, you know, it's been, I know I'm deviating for your question a bit, but it's been, you know, a real luxury to, to just be in a league that not only, you know, supports us um, in these struggles or, or even in talking about, you know, tough topics or, or uh, you know, I always use, you know, CP or, or LeBron as an example from starting a school up here in Akron, like they, they're a driving force for us now, the NBA, PA and the NBA. So it, I think it's, can only be extremely positive, but, but for me, that initial uh, like very public panic attack for me was, you know, incredibly scary, but actually ended up being a moment in my life where I learned the most and has set me up to, you know, for a legacy piece in order to help other people and feel like I'm going to be on the winning side of history. So uh, I think it was a major, major teaching point for me and something that uh, at the end of the day, uh, looking back, it was, it was, really ugly and it was ugly. It got a lot worse before it got better, but now provides me with a major source of happiness because in, you know, doing all this now it's, it's therapy in itself for me. Now you touched on it earlier, but I want to talk about your partnership with a uh, Gino mind and the uh, mental health map and sort of how you got connected with the, uh, the company. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking, and I mean, my personal team, we're always looking for, you know, companies or, you know, people, that are doing really great things in this space. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, at the basis of everything is stigma and, you know, people want to be truly educated and they want to use tools and they want to use research in order to, you know, take that next step in their collective journey. And some people don't know, you know, how to start their journey in, in mental wellness. And gentlemen, it checks every single box. Um, you know, and we've talked about it before, like so many people are suffering in silence, uh, whether it be at arm's distance, um, you know, whether it be a loved one, whether it be a friend in their orbit. So Gemini provides a, a mental health map uh, and expert analysis and an expert starting point uh, for your mental health journey. So you get to learn your genetic makeup where, uh, you know, your mental health is your, a function of four different things. It's, it's lifestyle, it's environment. Uh, it's experiences, but we've never had the, the gene portion actually down. And Genomine is the first company to actually do that. And I think that's what really set it apart. And, um, you know, we had kind of come together and it was super synergistic with, with uh, you know, what we wanted to put out there into the world. So you get to work with the expert clinician, you get to break down exactly what these, what these genes mean and, you know, actually have a, you know, activate and make yourself even better, whether it's, you know, a gene that's, uh, you know, really helping to make a positive impact in your life, you can continue to build on that. Or if something, uh, for example, for me, my stress and anxiety uh, traits, you know, I have a very heightened startle response. So being able to, to work with that, with the clinician and make sure that I'm making the right steps to uh, allow my life to be more positive uh, in that aspect. I'm also a, a terrible sleeper. So I found ways to, uh, and it, it has it on there that my predisposition is a night owl. And like, I think, I don't know if I, I started out as that, but it's funny because my genes, I, I've never thought that this was going to be available or be an option. So I was able to look at that and say, okay, how can I combat that? And how can I then provide myself a lot more energy and output during the day uh, and every day? So there's so much to this and so much to unpack, but it's a really, uh, really cool product. It's something that's uh, just new and fresh and something that I think uh, so many people in every walk of life and every demo can get a lot out of. 
Mental Health Awareness Month is uh, next month, May, and there's so many people who are still afraid and to be open and vulnerable because of that stigma that you spoke about, and they're afraid to seek, seek treatment. There's probably no definitive answer for this, but what sorts of things do you think that person who might be seeking that help can do that will gradually help them take those steps to sort of seek the treatment they might need, whether it be the genome thing that you partnered up with? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, genome is a, a, a really you know, great starting point to just understand the, the why and the where and the what and to put together an action plan because that's why I mentioned like this, this being a great starting point is because people don't actually you know, have an understanding of, you know, why this is happening or, or in what ways can I even get started or, or, you know, if I have these predispositions, you know, what steps can I actually take? So getting uh, the right consulting and follow-up uh, on those things can be extremely impactful, but understanding, you know, kind of what your triggers are, uh, you know, having that community, making sure you're speaking your truth, um, you know, if, if you're looking for a therapist, trying to find a way that, you know, you can kind of do therapist matchmaking um, and just try to find and, and, and do some research to provide, you know, tools for yourself. And I keep mentioning educate yourself and understand that there's more and more people uh, in every walk of life from, uh, you know, people you see every day out on the street to some of your favorite entertainers that are that are dealing with this stuff. So I would say do your research on that end and understand if, if their story resonates with you or speaks to you in some certain way, then, you know, find a way that, uh, you know, they have maybe dealt with it. Even, you know, like I said earlier, you can't put yourself in a box, but don't be afraid to, to try new things. Don't be afraid to, to put yourself out there in order to, to better yourself, because this is such a limiting factor in, in human potential. So, uh, you know, May is a major, major month for myself and the Kevin Love Fund. We do some great things, but, you know, I think, continuing to, to, to have these conversations is major because, you know, more and more research and more and more tools are going to come for this. And I know that or come from, excuse me, but those are things we need to, you know, continue to have this, this language and this, these proper talks about. What would the version of yourself today tell the version of Kevin Love who may not have been as willing to open up and be this sort of mental health spokesman? I mean, it's funny. I, how often I think about that and what I would say to my 15 year old high school freshman self, right? Like I, I had that sometimes that so much hurt, I would then project it on other people like better them than me. And I didn't really have an identity outside of basketball um, in a major way. I um, didn't have the tools to, to, you know, work on myself in the proper way. And I was had to be hyper masculine, couldn't be vulnerable. That was like my, my playbook. I learned from, you know, my dad who you know, grew up in the, the 50s and 60s. You know, I just didn't have the correct, proper or correct formula in order to, to work on myself. So I would first and foremost say to him, like, listen, it's all gonna be okay. <laughs> but also like, you know, speak your truth. Like at the end of the day, you know, that's again, gonna allow you to be, you know, more evolved and those who don't understand are likely going through it themselves or at some capacity or at some point. So be empathetic to that, uh, be forgiving, uh, don't make assumptions um, and, and, you know, don't take things personal. I mean, we, that, that question that was a little elusive to me earlier was like, you just, you have to learn to, uh, you know, not take so many things personal from, especially the media, but those either around you or those on the exterior that don't truly understand 
what you're going through. Cause everybody, no matter what uh, in their lives, you know, at, at some capacity goes through grievances or, or loss um, or major bouts of depression or anxiety or you know, bipolar or schizophrenia. Like it's all, um, you know, part of our everyday lives, but um, just continue to inspire hope. I think that would be the biggest thing I would, I would, you know, say to myself now, and then looking back, I would say that, you know, it's, it's all going to work out. Just speak your truth and, and be a good person and, you know, have high character. That's, that's, that's what I tell my son too.